at the desk preparing messages, at the bedside of a dying member, at the table handling conflict and developing creative strategies to build a congregation. Proclamation, implementation, salvation is the call of a pastor. My goal is to inform, inspire, and ignite you to take on this journey called pastoring. May you enjoy the interviews, information, and inspiration as I and others empower the pastor. Join us. Good afternoon, my brothers and my sisters, and welcome to the Empower the Pastor podcast, where we seek to inform, we seek to inspire, and we seek to ignite other pastors and even other church leaders to go forth and do the work of ministry. On today's segment, and we're beginning back, we took a brief hiatus and a sabbatical for a moment, but we're back. For the month of July, we're doing what we call Summer Conversations, and I am privileged and happy today to welcome a beloved friend, a beloved brother, indeed, indeed the husband of one wife, pastor of one church, and one of the gifted psalmist, gospel, rising gospel artists within our generation. I am welcoming to our podcast today, the Empowered Pastor Podcast with Pastor Rodney McFarland, the senior pastor of the Mount Ollie Missionary Baptist Church of Brooklyn. Pastor Mac, how you doing today, man? Greetings, my brother and the Lord, Pastor Anthony. I am just delighted and thankful to God for this awesome opportunity uh, to share with you today. Uh, I'm doing quite well, uh, thriving and surviving the best uh, I can in the midst of what we know uh, as uh, this pandemic, man, doing well. Just uh, happy to be alive this morning and being able to hear your voice, man, sharing with you this morning. God be praised, man. So let's jump into this summer convo right quickly. So tell us about your conversion. Well, uh, my uh, conversion started at a uh, at a very young age. I'm the uh, son of a pastor. I'm the I'm the grandson uh, of of a late uh, pastor. My grandfather and my and my father uh, were, were both in ministry. My father still is in ministry, uh, and at a young age, when I introduced the church, I. Would, I would say, as most people think that conversion is their baptism, I was uh, mm. baptized at the age of five years old. I uh, didn't know much about the faith at that point. Uh, at, um, at that young age. Uh, but uh, at the age of 12, I made a decision uh, for myself, man. I felt the Holy Spirit urge me to come forward to the church. And uh, at the age of 12, I got serious about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, understood more, went on my own. And uh, ever since the age of 12, uh, I've been uh, converted. 
So how old were you when you called to ministry? Well, I tell you, when I when I think about now that you asked, at the uh, at the age of twelve, I was converted. Twelve, leading up to my call to ministry at the age of sixteen, I went through that adolescent period where I wanted to be, um, you know, worldly and trying to figure out who I was as a teen. Went through the disrespectful stage of disobeying my parents, not listening, um, Mm. not getting good grades in school. Still went through that period. And at the age of 15, things began to change. I had a different urge uh, to to really hear God. Um, It started with Sunday school lessons at the church. And I just wanted to know what the lesson was going to be before I got to church and I began to study. And um, our Sunday school department would give youth an opportunity to do the lesson, to review the lesson on fifth Sunday. And with that urge, I began to uh, expound on scripture in Sunday school. And during that 15 to 16 uh, year old period, uh, my interest for the word just grew stronger and stronger to the point that at 15, I told my father, I said, Dad, I think I'm called to preach. And so immediately he did not uh, tell me to, well, if that's what the Lord told you to do, get in the chair next Sunday and come for the church. He uh, told me to really pray and ask God to show me three signs that he wanted me to preach. And, and then, you know, come back. And so it was about a year later. Now I'm at the age of 16. Um, I, um, we were, our church was in the midst of revival, four-night revival, and I was always a choir boy, always singing in the choir. And on a Tuesday night, it was plain as day. It's like the Lord told me on the last night of this revival, I want you to accept your calling. And so it was more like a 48-hour uh, uh, deal there. I had to think about, you know, God saying in two nights, I want you to come before the church and accept the calling. So the next day I went to school and told some of my friends, you know, I think I'm about to preach. That make a long story short, that Thursday night of the revival came, which was the last night of the revival. And um, as we know, uh, the doors of the church were open. So that was my moment. Well, immediately, I wanted to be sure. So when the doors of the church opened, I walked out the church. I, as I was, you know, walking back and forth in the hallway, pacing the floor, you know, wondering was I really about to go public with this? And, uh, you know, normally in the typical Baptist church experience, if nobody comes down the aisle in two to three minutes, you know, they normally just close you know that period and go to the next segment of worship and I walked out pacing the floor uh, even had a conversation with somebody in the hallway and then I walked back into church and the doors of the church were still open and mm. when I sat down on the front seat I began to uh, feel the butterflies in my stomach wondering whether or not I was going to make this decision before the time expired well it stayed open long enough for me to make a decision 
and I got in the chair and eventually the lady who uh, asked me what was I about to do, she already knew, you know, what I was coming down the aisle for. And it was just amazing that, you know, God said on the last night, I want you to accept your calling, allow the doors of the church to be open long enough for me to make that decision without missing that moment. And when I accepted my call and I knew that I had went public with something, I didn't know how it would turn out. Uh, but 15 years later now in ministry, God has proven that I didn't uh, make a mistake with that. Wow. So what was it like growing up as a young preacher at the age of 16? What was the experience like? And then another question to add to that, how did uh, your peers and people around you perceive you after um, you accepted your call? Uh, well, that's the, that's a wonderful question, man. I, I think that uh, I gained more influence and and more people drew to me uh, than those who drew away from me uh, because of uh, what happened in my life. The person that I was trying to be, the teenager I was trying to present myself to be prior to accepting the call, uh, it was like a drastic change. You know, when you're the son of a preacher, most people expect the preacher uh, kid to actually be uh, a person who acts saved at school and everywhere and behave uh, like a Christian. And, you know, of course, being a PK, you're fighting against that, trying to uh, be as common as your friends. Uh, in school and so of course I went the other route uh, prior to accepting the call I was sagging the pants wearing the uh, the white t-shirt during the white tee era you know we didn't have <laughs> uniforms in high school uh, uh, trying to rap uh, selling mixtapes of my older brother's uh, uh, rap CDs and uh, uh, smoking here and there so I did all, all the opposite things and so uh, it was in my junior year of high school. I started playing football, trying to play a tough sport. And uh, right in the middle of the season, uh, God, uh, not no, really, it was right after the ending of the season, uh, of our football season, that God called me to preach. You know, I accepted my call to preach. And before that, I had already started uh, uh doing some positive things, you know, whereby people didn't think this was a drastic change. They knew it was coming. Uh, I would write scriptures for my teammates every game. I would write a scripture for the defense. I would write a scripture for those who played offense. And I would even write a scripture for all the coaches. And I would, while we were, while we were supposed to be sleeping, prepping for the game, saving our energy, I would be in the dark writing scripture. Uh, scriptures for everyone and I would cut them out and, and pass them out to everyone when it was game time and so that was my ministry prior to accepting my call before I went public and um, once people saw that you know change you know they knew it was serious they knew that the rotten that I was before it was something different um, and uh, it wasn't like a holy roly thing. It was just, you know, God just began to use me and I began to obey the voice of God. And and so from that period, man, uh, God gave me an amazing 
influence at school and um to this day uh there are friends that i play football with that are still influenced by my life in ministry uh matter of fact last year i was able to marry uh, one of my uh, uh former teammates and his wife from high school uh just last year so it's, it it, uh, it was an amazing journey i think um because my high school time was only two years in, um, I got a chance to, people got a chance to know who I was prior to that moment. So it wasn't rough on me as a, as a teenage preacher trying to figure out who I was uh, as a preacher in high school because people knew uh, what my former adolescent years were like prior to that moment. Hmm. All right, next question would be, so how was teenage preaching amongst the ecclesiastical circle as a youngin? Man, I tell you what, it, it, it really uh, began to shoot off like a rocket, uh, but, but my dad had a, a way to kind of keep me grounded until he was sure that I could carry the gospel. Uh, my dad kind of had this rule. Uh, once I once I preached my first sermon, I didn't get licensed uh, on my on the night of my first sermon, like most guys. Um, the night of my first sermon, uh, he you know he presented me with uh, with with a love offering to buy books. <laughs> But, but my dad had a rule that, um, you know, each associate minister need to preach at least four times uh, at the house before I license you to go out to preach anywhere else because you represent me and you represent the church. And so after my first sermon, which was December 17, 2005, I didn't preach another sermon until April of 2006. And so, and so four months into preaching, I preached my second sermon at our home church uh, when my dad was out of town. He let me stand one Sunday. And after I preached my second sermon, the four, the four sermon rule at the house, he kind of uh, uh, over, overruled because the, the members had told him how well I did in my second sermon that shortly after that, uh, he licensed me to preach without uh, having to preach four sermons at, at home. And so with having a, a dad who was uh, well-known amongst the preachers in, in the city and the state, uh, doors began to open up uh, uh, in a tremendous way, uh, which, you know, pretty much were youth days, youth revival, um, and older guys who wanted to take off and, and hear me. So, I mean, uh, things went really fast. I, I, I can't even recall uh, how much preaching I did uh, other than after my second sermon and after I got licensed, um, I just remained on the go locally. And uh, from, the, from a National Baptist standpoint, uh, I, I was afforded opportunities to preach in the classroom 
uh, on Fridays, you know, when whenever the uh, instructors were wanting to hear preaching, uh, I was I was privileged to always preach in classrooms. I would get selected in our national convention before I ever uh, transcended to uh, uh, the stage uh, for national dances. But uh, things began to to skyrocket, man, pretty much because my dad uh, was well known in our city and state. And so everybody um, would let me come and share. So the journey goes, you've started preaching and you're going through the chronicles of being a preacher. So where does pastoring begin for you? Um, so so I was, uh, you know, started preaching at 16, got out of high school, Went to my first college in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, and there I sat under Dr. Harry Blake for two years um, in college. And, you know, being connected to him, uh, doors began to open up in that area of Shreveport. Uh, while I was for the opportunity to preach as well, uh, many churches while I was in college for two years. Uh, I got my associate degree in funeral services, intending to go back to Monroe, Louisiana, uh, and help my dad build the funeral business. And uh, I was only four years into preaching uh, when I when I graduated from uh, my first college, which was 2009. And so, uh, make a long story short. Um, I had three opportunities when I went back home with my dad, three opportunities uh, to pastor churches. But after having been under Dr. Harry Blake's ministry, he encouraged me to uh, get my bachelor's degree uh, and then pursue seminary. So I had so I so I had opportunities where three churches were looking at me at one time. And so I didn't know if I was ready to pastor or not, but Dr. Harry Blake kind of encouraged me uh, to tell churches who were considering me to pastor uh, my desires for school. And uh, I got connected to two churches uh, based upon my dad's uh, recommendation. And then uh, the church that I became pastor of in Longview, Texas, my first church, I preached at a youth day in Shreveport, Louisiana, and a deacon happened to be there uh, of the church that was vacant. And so uh, I went to all those church churches to preach. Um, and right before they got serious about selecting me as their pastor, I told each of those churches uh, that, hey, um, you know, if you guys select me as your pastor, I'll only be here for three years because after I get my bachelor's degree, I want to go to Harvard Divinity School uh, for, my, for my master's program. So that's what I told each church. Uh, so if they were selecting me, I was telling them, according to you know my plans, I'm going to be a short-term pastor. Well, the only church that bid on that was the church in Longview, Texas, which is Hebrew Baptist Church. And at 20 years old, no pastoral experience, uh, which is a small church in the country in Longview, Texas, uh, they called me. And uh, uh, my pastoral journey began at the age of 20. Uh, 
and uh, eventually uh, I never went to Harvard Divinity uh, <laughs> but but I graduated from uh, school there in Longview, Texas uh, with a uh, Bachelor of Arts in Christian Ministry Leadership and then from there went on to uh, Southwestern uh, Baptist Seminary to pursue my MD and uh, you know went from there to uh, where I am now uh, here in Brooklyn, New York at Mount Ali Baptist Church. So, as you have alluded about education, what degrees did you have you pursued so far? And are you in the process of going back? And what would you say to a young preacher who is looking to pursue that education? Yeah, uh, great question, man. Uh, the Lord uh, blessed me to... Uh, go to a junior college uh, and I received my associate degree in funeral service administration. Uh, then I began pastoring. I moved to Longview, Texas um, and I received my Bachelor of Arts degree in Christian ministry uh, leadership while pastoring there. So my first three and a half years of pastoring I was in school. Um, and, and then uh, after that um knowing that God didn't tell me to leave and go to Harvard Divinity as I had hoped, uh, the Lord blessed me to go right up the road to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, there in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, because I lived far away, I had to remain a part-time student. And so uh, that pursuit is still the pursuit. I'm still pursuing my MD. Uh, even as we uh, speak, uh, I've had on and off moments. I've had to see guys uh, graduate before me, even though I started before them. Uh, but the encouragement that I would uh, tell each preacher uh, is to uh, just make sure you try. You know, uh, education can be intimidating. It can be very intimidating, uh, but it's not impossible. Uh, and I think that what you can learn from books on your own, um, you will not do as much if you are not, um, if you're, if you're really not pushed, uh, by curriculum, uh, that professors provide. And so school provides you with a set curriculum of things that you need to learn in sequence. Learning on your own really doesn't do that unless you have a set of people to give you some things to study and you're going to commit yourself to doing that. So, uh, you know, school for me kind of helps provide the sequence of the curriculum that you need to follow in order to build the necessary skills to be the preacher uh, that you want to be. Um, so I encourage, you know, every guy to at least try, you know, school isn't for everyone but I still would encourage everyone to try because it's so helpful. Absolutely. So you're pastoring at 20. What are some of the challenges that you faced at your beginning that you would not want to repeat again? Or maybe so, maybe not that way. What are some of the challenges that you've had at the beginning of your pastorate that you would encourage a younger pastor to consider 
as they're pastoring their first church yeah uh man this is uh so so good to share um at, at my first church i was aware that i had no pastoral experience so you know trying to live up to an expectancy that people think uh that you should know everything and know what you're doing is is not realistic uh if it's your first church and you've never pastored you don't have to go in thinking that you know how to pastor uh and it's okay not to know everything because the people who selected you know that you have never pastored and the fact that they uh were uh were selective of you in spite of that inexperience says much about what they what they believed uh, you were capable of in your becomingness uh, of the pastor that you would be and so um, one of the things I had to learn was that it was okay not to know but to do the necessary things to grow in what you should know because you don't know doesn't mean you shouldn't be trying to know uh, and so you just know that you can grow into that uh, one of the, the, the second things that I uh, uh, took on uh, as a first time pastor was taking things personal you know if a member didn't show up to church I took it personal uh, yeah. uh, and that really began to uh, taint my spirit with people because I you know if I worked on this sermon um I wanted them to be the hearing. Or since I already had inherited a small church, you know, if one or two people were absent, you know, I had to think about who else wasn't going to be there that time. And so the discouragement when I would walk out from the study to the sanctuary and to and to see people not there, uh, I would get angry. I would get angry when they would text me on Sunday morning and say, hey, Pastor, I'm not coming today. You know, I would, I would immediately get angry. Or even uh, my deacons would have to work. They would get called in to work on Sunday morning. I would think that, uh, hey, why can't you tell your supervisor, you know, you got church on Sunday? You know, they don't understand that. And so I, I took those things personally. When people went on vacation, missed my anniversary or the big days at the church that I thought were important to the church and me, I took it personal when they were not there. And so those are things that I had to grow into and to learn uh, that as a pastor, people are going to do uh, what they want to do. And, and you have to develop uh, uh, a kind of uh, some numbness to that, you know, so that you don't get bent out of shape when people make those decisions or when they're absent from church or when they're not uh, going to hear you preach after you've worked on a sermon that you really want the church to hear. And uh, especially when these persons who are absent are in key positions of your church that you know you want them to invest in the spiritual uh, wisdom that you're providing spiritual knowledge that you're providing so that everyone can understand and grow together because you know most of the time the sermons that you preach you may not put on repeat for the next month or the next year sure, sure. and so if, if you're in a series and they miss uh, two sermons already they come on the third one you're not repeating those messages 
Uh, neither are you always teaching on on in midweek what you're preaching on Sunday. And so, you know, uh, I didn't. I, I took all of those things personal. Um, so, um, you know, I would say to a first-time pastor, if you're inexperienced, the people know that before you get there. Uh, and then number two, try not to take everything personally uh, because that will uh, taint your relationship with people and cause you not to be able to lead them effectively. Absolutely. And that is so true. And some of those lessons that you've alluded to, I've had to experience them within my current pastorate. And, and even with six years in, I understand that some things you just can't take personal. And even now, in with all the, that's going on with the COVID nineteen, I truly can relate. So, the journey continues. The Lord has blessed you to pastor at the Hebron Church of Longview. But where does Mount Ali come to picture? How does that transition um, begins? So, man, it's it's beautiful, man. Uh... I, I uh, when we first started the interview, I didn't state uh, my uh, home state and city. Monroe, Louisiana is where I was born and raised. My father's still pastors there in uh, Monroe, Louisiana, Greater Free Gift Baptist Church. Uh, so I'm a Louisiana brother. Uh, God blessed me to go to Shreveport uh, in my first college. Uh, got a chance to hang around. Uh, Dr. Harry Blake, uh, who, uh, who who passed earlier this year uh, in, in April. Um, my father and Dr. Harry Blake uh, became two great uh, promoters uh, of, of my ministry. Um, before I started pastoring and when I started pastoring, um, and there's some other guys in there too who have pushed me uh, and give me exposure. Um, but when I started pastoring, um, I, I I began to participate as a pastor uh, in the National Baptist Convention. So, you know, once when you're associate minister, you know, you're there at the National Convention, but, you know, you're just kind of standing around. When you become a pastor, whether it's a country church or, or a urban city church, you now carry the title pastor when you're a part of our National Convention. And so, of course, cool. with being a pastor, being connected to my father, I've uh, been connected to Dr. Harry Blake at the National. I got a chance to be introduced to people because I was in a relationship uh, with my father and Dr. Harry Blake. Um, other pastors, other mentors uh, in my life, uh, Dr. T. Alexander Knapp out of Menden, Louisiana. Um, I would uh, travel different places with him and I would meet people uh, at, our, at our National and abroad. And so uh, just through those relationships uh, leading up to uh, getting known in our convention, uh, my name began to ring in places that I uh, never thought it would uh, ring. Uh, in 2014, I preached my first late night debut, uh, a sermon, and I national about convention at one of our winter board meetings. I remember uh, that. Time, that was that was right here in Birmingham. I remember <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. And so, oftentimes, when you uh, 
preach as a national venue, you know, it's a big moment. Um, you're not thinking everything that's going to come of it. You're just hoping that you do well. Uh, and so at that point, still pastoring a small church in Texas, and I have this, uh, 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 what we would call a major opportunity uh, to preach at the national. And I'm just hoping that I, you know, that I don't uh, fall off the cliff here. And so in 2014, preaching that message, uh, I'm sure more people uh, in, in other places heard about my name. And a year later, it was a year later, uh, I was introduced to some people uh, in the National Convention uh, who knew that a vacancy was coming up. Uh, and they didn't tell me at the time that the reason they wanted to meet me was because of, uh, of the vacancy that may happen. But I met them. And a year later, uh, I got a call. Uh, from uh, uh, Pastor Bernard Mitchell, who's over late night, and he said, "Hey, man, the church in New York is is uh, vacant, and I recommended your name. And uh, if they call you, would you go to preach?" And so, of course, you know, I told him yes, and I heard Brooklyn, New York. And I, oh, man, I don't know about that. You know, I'm a Southerner. Uh, never, never thought about that. But once that, once the committee called me. Uh, it became realistic. And at first I said, uh, you know, give me 48 hours. Let me think about that. Then that call changed from in the next 24 hours. I called back and said, you know, um, give me back the end of the week. And I'll submit my information. Uh, and, and I did. You know, I submitted my information, prayed about it. And the rest was history, man. I went to preach in New York uh, one time, and then I was invited back the second time. And and uh, a few months later, I was called to be a pastor. Now it was strange because again, living in the South all my life, my wife from the South, uh, going from a country church now to being surrounded by buildings, uh, it was it was crazy. But I uh, when I try to explain how I got to New York it's even though I just tried to explain it's difficult to explain because I don't know all who had a hand in speaking my name to certain people to get it to to get me to where I am so you know of course we have to give credit to God you know for uh, the exposure that we have and wherever anybody has dropped your name in in high places uh, you just have to give credit to God man so I just say you know um through those networks, through those uh, opportunities of exposure, uh, some way, somehow, uh, I got on the radar, and God blessed me to come here to New York. Wow. God be the glory. And so you're <laughs> in New York. So how have the adjustment been from the South to the North? Uh, it's been a major, it's been a major adjustment. I, I think that... Um, you know, with coming to New York with pastoral experience from my first church, I was pretty much thinking, especially with it being the same denomination, uh, I didn't think too much about the demographics, uh, the differences of culture. I didn't think about that because I said, you know, it's a Baptist church. Uh, now, when I preached as a candidate, they seemed to enjoy it. When I came back as a candidate and preached, they seemed to enjoy it. So I was thinking, you know, hey, I'm familiar with this. This is going to be the same stuff, you know. 
Uh, just preach, teach, love the folk, and that's all I need to do. Well, that's what I did in the country because in the country, they wasn't used to the church being open, but Sunday and Wednesday. So if you, were at, if you were at the church more than Sunday and Wednesday, they wanted to know what you were at the church for. Mm. New York, on the other hand, is very active. Uh, you can be busy in any capacity of ministry and uh, not be at the church, but it's always something to be involved in, whether that's uh, social justice, uh, social services, uh, bringing programs uh, uh, to your ministry or uh, adopting school. Uh, it's always something to have your hands on here. And I think uh, being here it took me a while to figure that. It took me a while to figure that out. Um, I came to New York in 2016. It's been uh, four complete years now, going on year five. And I'm just now starting to put pieces to the puzzle in the right place uh, as a preacher. Because again, you know, coming from the country now to the urban city, I'm thinking, okay, my first thing to do is to take care of the church's spiritual nourishment, try to get that underway, love the folk, then start making moves. I've been invited to a lot of places uh, to, to get involved in organizations, but just now starting to plant my feet uh, where I think I want our church to go as far as that direction of participating uh, in a lot of community structured uh, uh, things to, uh, to number one, make sure people are healthy, but then number two, to make sure we introduce Christ. Let me go backwards right quick and then go forward. So um, one question I forgot to ask, but this is really good. So how is your family life um, prior before pastoring and your family life during, currently as pastor? And what um, would you say to a young pastor and uh, even a seasoned pastor or a uh, young preacher as it regards to family and ministry? Yeah, so you got to tell us how you met your wife too as well. I forgot to add it. Okay. Sure. Uh so so I um so prior prior to pastoring, uh of course I'm a, I'm a bachelor preacher. Uh and at that point in my life, uh especially after I came from college, experiencing my first a serious, what I would consider serious relationship, uh, having, a, having a girlfriend accept me as a man and as a preacher. Uh, when I came out of college, I, my first college, I knew I didn't want to just be dating anybody for the sake of dating because I knew what dating led to. You know, you fall in love and then even if you don't intend to get married as a man, you still want to do uh, the natural things. And so I uh, began to kind of develop a standard that hey if I'm going to marry somebody you know I definitely don't want to uh, be living a life of sin uh, while I'm dating I want to make sure I find the quality person uh, that that is in line with me spiritually and morally and so uh, I just began to uh, uh, work for my dad once I uh, got out of my first college man and 
went to church. You know, I can I can literally say I met my wife in church. I went to church. I wasn't preaching. Uh, I was there to support somebody else who was preaching, and uh, saw so I saw my wife there. And from there, uh, I interacted, uh, went out to eat with a group of people, and uh, not knowing that that night I met my wife. Um, we didn't connect right away. Um, but uh, a few months later, uh, we got connected, and she was just coming out of a long-term relationship. And so our conversation didn't go too well. She wasn't interested in me at first. And then the Lord blessed me to meet her again in the post office. I was working for my dad's, her job <laughs> down the street from the post office. And um, she was standing in line and I was coming to the line and we exchanged numbers again like it was our first time meeting. And the rest was history, man. She was with me uh, on Valentine's night. When I got called to my first church, it was in Walmart. So she was with me when I got called to my first church, when I got the call. And um, six months into dating her, uh, I proposed to her. So it was it was very, I knew that she was the one that I wanted to be with. Uh, and then we got married uh, within 10 months of dating because I had moved away to pastor my first church in Longview and she was still living in Monroe, Louisiana while we were planning for the wedding. Mm. So uh, uh, we, we, got, we got married, had, had a public ceremony the following year and uh, began having children right away. Uh, didn't waste no time. Uh, with that and so I'm, I'm starting you know my first church uh, thank God I brought my bride with me um, therefore I didn't have to date in my church and go through that experience of uh, dating in my church or or bringing someone to my church after having been pastoring there for quite some time and then the church having to love on someone else now after loving me so I was thankful that um, while I was dating uh, my wife she would come uh, to hear me preach sometimes and then of course after we got engaged the church was able to embrace uh, her as they embraced me um, and so uh, this family thing let me just get to that this family thing it it, it has uh, began to develop because as my as my um, opportunities in ministry are growing uh, my family was was smaller and so uh, once I preached in 2014 National Convention doors began to open up I think my, my wife and I has all have always talked about you know my potential in ministry and other pastors have always tried to share uh, with both of us my potential in ministry so you know once I started traveling on the road um I, I, I started cutting all unnecessary travel out, realizing that it was affecting my family because my wife, uh, her father, is also a pastor uh, in, in Jonesboro, Louisiana, a, small, a smaller town. And uh, uh, my, father, my father-in-law has always been a bivocational pastor. So therefore, he would always, you know, pick her, take her to school, pick her up from school. So she wasn't used to a pastor traveling. So she had to get used to me traveling uh, at that time. 
uh, when we had our first child, um, that's when I really started moving. And my second child, uh, I was starting to move a little bit more. I had just started flying around 2014, 2015. And, and so we did have to have conversations about balance. Um, when we moved to New York in 2016, I just knew nobody was going to call me to preach uh, because everywhere I was preaching, I was driving to, and I had just started flying a little bit. And since we've been here four years, I've flown, I've flown more in four years than I have in my entire uh, life. Wow. Um, but what we've had to come to is communication. Um, and I actually, uh, you know, like talking to my wife about these things, uh, but it has been difficult. Uh, one thing I would say to a pastor, uh, who, who has, uh, a, uh, a real, uh, busy, busy calendar is to just, uh, communicate with your spouse about your calendar, make sure she knows your calendar, make sure you know her calendar. And make sure you know the children's calendar. Uh, there are things I've had to cancel at times because I wanted to make sure I make important days for my children. And uh, and I think that, you know, your wife will let you fulfill your purpose if you also make the necessary steps to fulfill the purpose of the family. Uh, nobody minds anybody doing what they've been called to do as long as it is not in competition with the purpose you are to serve for your family. And if you can do that, uh, I think that you'll have uh, a great family life. So how does being an itinerant preacher as well affects your pastoring? So, you know, like I said, especially being here in New York, um, trying to develop uh, that organizational style of ministry where you know you can be here and your members can be here uh, I'm out of town but things are being done um, it does affect it when you're trying to learn a new place um, but my first four months in New York first six months I would say uh, I was stationed I really didn't go anywhere to preach my first six months here. Uh, I was kind of stable. So um, when I got to the to New York, I really didn't move around, didn't miss Bible study, uh, didn't miss church. Uh, wasn't going, wasn't accepting any uh, opportunities to go preach for anybody on Sunday morning when I first got here. Um, so I tried to learn the church. I tried to be still, you know, to make sure that I, I could see them and they could see me. Uh, but once my calendar started, my second year, I had to figure out what I was going to do uh, with Bible study. You know, was I going to trust somebody to teach for me or not just have it? And so I, so I went through a series of trying to cancel and keep on, cancel and keep on uh, until I figured out I could pre-record and they could come and watch and watch it and, and get in small groups. So I had to figure out different things to do uh, within itinerary pastor because uh, an itinerary preacher. Because when you are traveling, you want to travel, and you don't want to make uh, traveling uh, uh, be something more than 
your pastoral assignment. Now, one of the things that you cannot do is you can't make your members, um, you know, you you can't you you can't make your members think that your your priority is is the road or travel because you have some members who think well because you travel you must not care about the church and and that's not true i think that pastors travel number one because they are called upon to travel uh no one is out now of course you know you do have guys who are out there putting out flyers open for booking you know my calendar is open and they'll make a fly in january in the new year and say calendar is open you know, but I've never done that. So I feel that everybody who called me uh, to come and share, if if the calendar the date was open on my calendar, then I was going to go because that was, you know, what I felt that the Lord opened doors for me to do. And so all of the social justice opportunities, all of the community meetings, uh, some things I did miss, and I there was no way for me to reduplicate uh, myself and say, hey, I need another person to be here and be there for me because I didn't know how important it was for me to be in those places if nobody really knew me. So um, in these in these few years of being here, uh, I've had to ask people to go to meetings, uh, bring back information to me. Uh, sometimes I've been able to go to meetings, but I have uh, have not lessened my travel uh, to do that. I've just tried to tried to figure out a chemistry to wrestle with both of those um and now that we're in the midst of uh uh COVID-19 where we are um you know I'm just wrestling with the one you know now I'm just wrestling with the one but it's very difficult because there's no normalcy to um what I would have liked to do uh here if traveling never was an option for me hmm so now we segment to the final stretches. So you're four years in the game as a pastor and you're doing a great work at Mount Ollie and I must commend you for that. And the Lord is blessing the church. The Lord is doing great and marvelous things. But now in the midst of the Lord moving, there comes the reality of COVID-19. A worldwide pandemic that has hit not only just the nation but the entire world. What was your thoughts about hearing of COVID-19 and how have you made adjustments with your congregation since COVID-19 and how has it what what creative ways have you been reaching your congregation in the midst of COVID-19? And I ask another question after that. Okay. Uh, man, when COVID-19 first hit, I think it shocked me uh, because right before our governor called for a shelter in place, uh, I traveled the week prior to Memphis, Tennessee to do a church anniversary for uh, one of my good friends. And so I'm preaching out. And so the last sermon I preach publicly is not to my congregation, it's to another church. And so uh, going back to New York, um, leading up to the week, we have to shelter in place. I never get to see my congregation uh, again. 
And so I, uh, you know, I was thinking that the shelter in place would be short term, this coronavirus would be short term, eventually we would get back to some normalcy. Uh, but in the beginning phases uh, leading up to that first week of being shelter in place, um, uh, one of the things that we consistently did was um, develop ways to still have all that we had going on on Sunday. That was Sunday school. Uh, that was Sunday service. Um, and then what we did midweek, that was uh, Bible study. So what I what I did that first week was something that we put in place to be consistent throughout this time. And that was to continue to have all that we had on Sunday morning because people felt plugged in the ministry if they were participating. So we have uh, Sunday school every Sunday on conference call and people unmute themselves and make comments and share. Some people just call in just to listen. Uh, but it's a, it's a dialogue. It's not just one person shooting for biblical information and everyone just sitting there listening. You know, it's a, it's a strong engagement. So we have, uh, we, we have that. And then I pre-record, then we, uh, uh, do our live stream ministry at 11 o'clock. But then for the seniors who did not have video technology, I provided a conference call at 12 noon so that I can just preach to people on a conference call uh, who did not have video technology. Wow. And, and then on, on midweek Bible study day, I do a conference call at 12 noon and then I would do the Bible study uh, in the evening on video. And so we were able to uh, engage with people who had video technology and those who had just uh, had access to calling in. And we've been doing that consistently. And I don't teach Sunday school every Sunday. Uh, so, you know, I've allowed, you know, those the Sunday school department to continue to do uh, what they need to do. And I teach once a month uh, on the conference call. But as far as Bible study, uh, again, it's a dialogue on conference call. Uh, and then we transitioned shortly uh, a month ago uh, we transitioned to Zoom but for those members who don't want to dialogue uh, I still uh, get on live stream and do a uh, 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 a lesson for them and then I just do uh, the Zoom conference now at my normal Bible study hour but we've been, we've been doing all those things consistently uh, the other thing that uh, we had to do was to make sure every member was being contacted by phone. So this really put us in a good situation. What I wanted the uh, uh, deacon ministry to do, COVID forced us to do it. And so uh, I was able to spread out uh, in alphabetical order uh, our members to each of our deacons and assign them numbers and names to call people once a week to make sure they have uh, essential items uh, if they needed anything uh, we would organize a way to get it to them and uh, you know if they if they were doing well that's what we wanted to know and it was sort of like a wellness check and so uh, we've still been doing that uh, for four months some of some some guys who now work may not been have been able to make do know members are being contacted which is uh which is a praise so people feel 
that they are still connected to the church, even though we have not been together physically. Wow. And so even within COVID-19, we're also dealing with COVID-16-19, where African-Americans are tired of the um, injustices and ills that are facing our society as we're looking at the status of our society of with police brutality and with Black Lives Matter and with the egotistical tyrant that is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, what have your platform and your messages been as well as what participatory ways have you been helping through this time of COVID-16-19? Because we're dealing with two pandemics. Pandemic that deals with the body and the the pandemic that deals with black life in general uh yeah so uh i tell you man the the uh the spark that took place after uh the uh, brutal uh, murder of uh, george floyd uh it, it was a game changer um i myself have always recognized the injustice that uh, uh, blacks have faced, but I guess since I was not born in a civil rights era, uh, I have not always understood my significance uh, in speaking to the heart of these moments, representing these moments, or even preaching sermons that really challenge uh, thinking in these moments. Uh, so the, the, the killing of George Floyd was a game changer. And to see uh, how the world responded uh, with protests, uh, I could not resist uh, not being a part of the protest once I was asked. Of course, afraid of COVID-19, uh, but uh, to see so many brave men and women and children taking risks to protest in order to uh, stand against the injustice that we've faced uh, since 1619, it was an opportunity that I had to take. My uh, sermonic focus shifted uh, to speak to uh, the heart of what's going on to our members because I, I think that you know every pastor has his own platform and right. uh, people who watch you may not always be your members but at least your members need to hear you um, address some of these current issues um, because a lot of times I think we we uh, can be concerned about preachers who are, are privileged to be on press conferences and able to be on different uh, news media talking about these issues and we forget that we are messengers of God and, and said, even if it's one person outside of our church that's going to be listening to us, we need to be speaking about some relevant issues. It shouldn't always take over the message. It should be in line with the message. Um, so, so, you know, uh, this, this period uh, really pushed me to know that it's important that I remain consistently involved um, with the uh, uprising uh, of black and brown people because I think that even with um, the white race being able to see this for uh, that, that's that been happening to us for a long time uh, if white people can be convinced then black people who have not been involved should be convinced um, and, and so I, I think that um, 
it, this is a growing point for me as a pastor uh, to know how important it is to be black and to uh, not miss the moment of what it means to uplift the people who've been downtrodden and oppressed uh, since 619 and still fighting for equality. Absolutely. So, as we come towards the end of the segment, there is something, there is something that I must, um, how to put it, I have had the opportunity to know Pastor McFarlane for the last I met him in 2014, didn't really get close to him until like 2015. And ever since that day, he has always been a gifted psalmist, a gifted artist in his own right. Um, in fact, he has sung the worship leader during the late night and even have sung during many of the sessions at the National Baptist Convention. And so I want him to tell us about his latest um, single that has come out. And also, if you want to talk about his music ministry, uh, how that began, I would, you know, love to hear that. Yeah, uh, thank you, man. Uh, God has blessed me to uh, release uh, a new single. Um, it's called Make Sure. Um, and it's an intentional message and reminder uh, to make sure that we lift Christ. Uh, John 12, 32, Jesus said, and if I, if I be lifted up, uh, above the earth I will draw all men unto me um, and in thinking about him being lifted up on the cross in his death and then the actual lifting that we do in proclamation it's important that that we do that and so um, this song makes sure um, it's something that uh, we, we intentionally wanted to talk about in a time uh, where people don't believe anymore in a time where people don't uh, really want to express Christ anything goes now uh, so so therefore you know that song is very intentional but it has a gospel groove and a great feel and it provides uh, a different a different approach that I took to uh, making this single uh, this is actually my second single in 2017 I released my first single entitled He's Sweet I Know um, similar to uh, the hymn, uh, the words are, uh, are similar, and and then we just did a small rendition to that. But uh, singing has been a part of my life uh, since uh, since I was a kid. Both my mom and dad uh, are musicians, and mm. my dad can hold a tune. My mama is the melodious one who who can really uh, sing, sing. You know, my dad is not tone deaf; he can sing, but he's not the melodious one. Both of them would argue that I got my voice from them. My dad takes all the credit and says that I got it from him. Uh, but uh, I started singing early at the age of five and, and my mom would uh, put me in front of a mic and while people would be going around for the offering, me and my brother would uh, sing uh, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. And at that point it was cute. I didn't, I didn't really know if I had the voice to sing until the age of 12. At the age of 12, I had a high-pitched Michael Jackson type of voice, and uh, I, I started singing. I did a tribute to my dad at one of his pastor's anniversaries, and I sang I Won't Complain, and it just took over the house. Ever since then, 
just as my dad promoted me as a preacher when I started preaching, he would often make me sing at guest churches before he preached. And the more I sang, the more I realized I could sing. And uh, another part to my to my music ministry is that I have been in school choirs all of my life, even up to uh, my uh, first collegiate experience. So I've always been uh, singing. Uh, singing has been a part of me. When I became a preacher, I never wanted to make singing primary. I've always wanted to make sure people saw me as a preacher that could sing and not a singing preacher. And that's still my 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 mantra today. Uh, but I think now in this age, we got to be able to be versatile and, and embrace all of your gifts. And if you know, as a preacher, if you want to go down the path of singing. Uh, many guys have done it. Uh, Paul Morton was a preacher first, you know, but then God blessed him to uh, be well known for singing. Some guys have been singers first and then became pastors. So, you know, um, I, I just I'm at a stage where I just want to embrace all uh, of the gifts and talents that God has given me. And uh, if God decide, you know what I said, you know, if God decide. To uh, open doors for me in singing, as he did, uh, as he has done, and is doing in preaching, uh, then I walk in. But it's not a matter of uh, fame, popularity. Just, uh, hey God, you know, thank you for this opportunity to do this. And uh, if He sees fit to take me further, then I want to be able to walk with Him. But, but always knowing that with or without fame or popularity or record label, what you're doing should be a blessing to somebody and not just something that's to uplift your name and your platform. So I've been, I've been thankful, man, to be singing uh, this long and uh, to now get an opportunity uh, to share it in a broader light. Hmm. Praise God. Well... I want to ask you this question and then I want to give way to you to give some shout outs and encouragement afterwards. So what current projects are you working on as doing during this COVID-19 and what is what is God speaking to you to do even now? And what encouragement as well as um, words of wisdom can you give to some other young pastors, seasoned pastors and even those who's considering ministry. Those three, in that order. All right. Um, well, currently, um, I'm, uh, I'm I'm back in school. So, I'm, you know, that's, that's a primary thing uh, right now. But I think in the midst of uh, COVID-19, uh, my main thing is trying to perfect doing ministry in this virtual space. Uh, if that means every week we got to work at uh, uh, thinking through ideas, what we can do to present ministry to people, uh, that's that's my main thing each each week. Um, as as we see the wave, you know, of uh, uh, coronavirus move and you know the following the social justice track, what we can and cannot do, what we should and should not be doing. Uh, I'm 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 paying attention to to all of that uh, in the in the coming in the coming weeks. I would definitely want to connect with our police precinct and our community uh, because I do think that preachers and police officers 
need to be um, one. We're leaders yeah, of sure. our community. They're policing our community. And I think that there should always be partnership between church and police officers so that, you know, when preachers speak out against injustice, officers will understand the relationship uh, that preachers are coming from when they are representing people in the community. Because right now, uh, I'm, what I'm afraid of is the response to all of the police brutality is not being led by spiritual uh, people and so you have a lot of people out there who are just as angry as Christian believers but they're not they're not reacting uh, with the proper morals and which you which you can't tell folk how to react but but they're not reacting in a way that will create the change uh, some people are name calling they are talking to the police any kind of way they are uh, looking at going to war with, with police officers. Uh, and so it's it's a very strange time right now. So I'm in uh, in the coming weeks, I'm going to be looking forward to trying to continue to build partnerships with our uh, police precinct and our community and simultaneously trying to perfect ministry in the virtual space. Uh, one of the things that I would say to each pastor, a preacher, uh, who's in this in, in this phase is to uh, constantly pray and seek God for wisdom. Uh, all of us do not have the same technological capabilities, but all of us have the same accessibility uh, to, to the Lord Jesus. And, and as long as he's providing you with wisdom and knowledge to do the ministry that uh, you will do, uh, your people will be blessed by that which you uh, can do. And so I think that this is a very sensitive time that uh, we shouldn't be so busy trying to figure out what's the next step without being in communion with God. COVID-19 should, should be teaching us, especially with the shelter in place, that our devotional life is the strongest asset to our ministerial significance. And that if we can really value spending time with God and not trying to figure out what's the next step, uh, how, do I, how do I get my name out there, how do I get my church out there, if we could just figure out how to really stay close to God and listen to Him, uh, everything that will, will manifest, will manifest through our confirmation uh, from our communion with God. So that's that's uh, you know what I would uh, want to end with, Pastor, and I uh, thank you and appreciate you for this opportunity. By all means, well, my brothers and my sisters, I want to thank uh, Reverend Rodney McFarland Jr. for allowing us to have this interview today, and even now we want to keep him and his family in our prayers in the transition of his great grandmother, who went on to be with the Lord on yesterday. And we just want to keep them uplifted in our prayers and send our love and support to them, even in this moment. And we want to also encourage each and every one of you to continue to listen in on this podcast. And I encourage you, make sure you get his single. It's on Apple, Spotify. Well, tell us, where can we find a single, Reverend? 
Uh, yeah, thank you, Pastor. Uh, it's on all digital platforms, whatever platform you download music from, you can find it on all digital platforms. Amen. And I promise you, if you love good music and good gospel music, you will be blessed by that. Um, Pastor Mac, do you have any shout outs you want to give out to? Uh, yeah, man, I, I do. Uh, matter of fact, I, I want to uh, give a shout out to one of the most humble guys we could ever meet. Uh, and that's Pastor Kelvin J. Anthony. He is just a super, super incredible encourager to the body of Christ. And uh, I thank God for you, man. I appreciate God for you. Uh, I want to uh, also uh, thank God for every preacher, pastor, man, who is working uh, to be a messenger for the Lord during this time. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage uh, all of the millennials uh, who are on the front line uh, participating in the uh, social justice movement. Just want to encourage you to stay uh, with the Lord, and I, I want to give a shout out even to uh, the the white Americans and other ethnic groups who who now understand the plight and pain uh, of the African American race who decided to step in uh, because this has never been something we could accomplish uh, without the help of others. And so I want to thank God for for all all eth- ethnic groups uh, who have uh, joined in to help us uh, in this. Uh, COVID-16-19 uh, situation and so I want to give a shout out to them uh, as well man and of course again we just thank God for you pastor and for this opportunity to share with you Amen and one more shout out that you forgot to give Reverend I don't want you to get in trouble for it because you got to have a place to stay for the night <laughs> Yeah man well listen absolutely uh, I want to Thank God for my for my wife and thank God for my children, man. Uh, they they are they are the foundation on which I'm able to do everything that I'm doing. So absolutely, man. Thank you for that opportunity to cut that up. Amen. Amen. Well, bro, we look forward to having this discussion again, and we look forward to hearing all of the great and wonderful things that you should do. And I want to encourage y'all make one disclaimer that if you heard someone hollering in the background or trying to get my attention, that was my aunt. I wanted to do something. Uh, and I, she forgot I was on the interview, but nonetheless, thank God for her. And she, by the way, she told me to tell you hello. Um, Bless you, man. So I want to encourage each and every one of you that I hope and pray that you were informed, you were inspired, and I hope and pray that you were ignited. May God's blessing be unto you. And as you go to your various congregations, do the work and let God do the work. Peace, people.